Uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different this morning. I would like all of you to stand up. If you're in point, stand up. At the cafe, stand up. All of you here, stand up. And we're going to do something together. Uh, one church, even though we're not all sitting sit in the same place. But uh, I want us to do something. Uh, I want us to recite together the Apostles' Creed. And uh, we are going to uh, place this up on the uh, screens so that you can follow along with us. Now, if you were raised in any kind of a mainline traditional church, you're very familiar with the Apostles' Creed. Though you'll want to read with us because there's different little variations. Uh, it was amazing as I was doing it last service. I found myself wanting to say it the way that I was said, raised, you know. And I haven't done this in, you know, 30 years, but it's amazing how saying it over and over again really gets drilled into you. But let's say this together as a group of faith, shall we? We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may all be seated. Again, if you caught yourself struggling over some words, it just, it's amazing how we learn this stuff. Um, this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, who we are as uh, a group of people, believers in Jesus Christ, as uh, evangelicals. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, uh, what it refers to, there are mainline denominational churches like Lutherans, Catholics, Episcopalians, these kinds of guys who've been around forever, uh, very traditional in their approach to God, pretty regimented in their worship experience. Uh, then you've got the young upstarts like us who uh, are all over the world. And uh, our title or reference of evangelicals, there's lots of different flavors and colors of it. But it's talking about people who love God, who experience God, that are more free in their worship. But one of the overwhelming signs that identifies them is their desire to proclaim the gospel of Christ to the world around them and to evangelize, to win others to Christ. Hence the name evangelicals. Now, we evangelicals, and, and please note when I say we in this message this morning, I'm talking about the big we, all evangelicals in America today. Not necessarily uh, Celebration Church, although some of these things do apply to Celebration Church. But we evangelicals have been failing miserably when it comes to passing our faith on to the next generation with our young people. Surveys are showing consistently that up to 80% of evangelical young men and women are completely giving up on their faith by the second year in college. Amazingly and kind of ironically, I believe we have created these results because we are evangelicals. In other words, uh, we see as our first and foremost need the need to evangelize. Uh, but we have been only zealous for one part of what it means to evangelize. And that's why we're struggling. Jesus gave us the great commission. He told us before he went into heaven, 
He told his disciples, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, the good news to all people. But not just proclaim, he says, and to make disciples of all nations. Disciplined believers. Now, we're pretty good at the first part of that, proclaiming the gospel. There is no one better in the world at proclaiming a message than we evangelicals. I dare say, uh, since the history of the church in 2,000 years, there's never been a group of people that has it more together, more down in terms of our expression, our worship, our presentation of saying to the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he loves you and you can know him. You can have forgiveness of sins. But where we have failed miserably is really making disciples out of those people. And this is really demonstrated with our young people. Now we have created huge mega churches today. Wonderful churches, they're great, they're fabulous, and a lot of people view us as a mega church in this area. I suppose around here we are, but in terms of mega churches, you're talking congregations of 10, 15, 20, 30,000 people all over the country, these huge mega churches, evangelical churches that have done a fabulous job in proclaiming, getting people to believe. But we've been so passionate and so excited and so desirous to proclaim that we have intentionally, in many cases, hidden the message of discipleship for fear that if we really let people know what is required of them, they won't believe and they won't pray the prayer. And we've got very seeker-friendly churches today. Uh, and, and I consider us seeker-friendly in that if you're seeking for God, we're a friendly place to do that. But we don't hide the truth of the Bible. We don't, we've got these seeker-friendly churches that just proclaim the one side and don't tell the whole story. Sadly, that's not really cutting it in people's lives. And the truth of the matter, just believing in Jesus in terms of acknowledging that there's a God and praying a simple prayer really isn't quite what is required to get this inside of you, to really experience God in your life. James wrote about it, uh, the Apostle James in the, in the New Testament. He writes these words. Uh, you believe that there is one God. Good! exclamation point by the way this is not a positive encouraging good this is a sarcastic good because he's in their faces saying whoop these stink can do good for you even the demons believe that and shudder in other words it's not doing them any good what makes you think it's going to do you any good nobody believes in god more than the devil he's absolutely convinced there is a god <laughs> but it's not going to help him it's not going to, wait, don't clap for the devil. <laughs> it's not, I don't know what you're clapping about, but don't, don't, don't encourage that, you know. Uh, it's not doing him any good. He believes it's fabulous, great. But just believing in a casual sense is not enough. We have to become disciples of Jesus Christ. We have to turn away from our sins and seek after God and grow in our faith. Again, we have been the most remiss in our efforts when it comes to our young people. We have created youth programs that are great in successfully attracting unsaved, narcissistic, self-centered, I need to have fun at any cost teens. And then we try and sneak Jesus into them. And I'll tell you, when this was first being presented some years ago, I was on the front row, man. I was cheering this louder than anybody else. I thought, this is great. Let's do it. Whatever we got to do, get him in the door. Make it fun. Make it groovy. Make it hip. Make it cool. And we'll just zap him with Jesus when we Get there. Sadly, the results are falling extremely short. 
what we have today as a result are hundreds of thousands of narcissistic, self-centered Christians that cannot survive outside the immediate youth ministry environment. As soon as they get away from their youth pastors, as soon as they get away from their little groups that meet once a week, and you put them out in the real world, it's taken as little as a year to two. And 80% of them are completely giving up on their faith. Well, pastor, we, we need a youth program that attracts more teens. You know, I hear that. People are always passionate about this. And as I travel around the country speaking to people about it, everybody's, you know, well, we got to have a great program. We've got to attract more young people. we got to attract more young people. we got to attract more young people. This is going to sound very radical to you. But my answer to that today is no. We need to be less concerned about reaching teens outside the church and more concerned about raising healthy, godly young men and women who are solid, committed followers of Jesus Christ inside the church. Now, ironically, if we get our priorities right, you will find that young people will be attracted to our young people. But we need them to be attracted to that to people who know God, who have faith, who have their lives together, and then hurting teens around them will be attracted to them. Let's attract them that way. Let's not focus so much on fun programs that will attract young people. We need spirit-filled young people that will attract other young people. Same is true of churches and buildings. You know, People think, boy, if you just build a fancy enough building and have cool enough programs, that will attract people. And it's great to have a nice building, it's great to have great programs, but that won't do it. You can have the best building, you can have the coolest programs, and you'll have a church that will slowly starve to death and die. People aren't interested in that. They want to know that they can experience God in their lives. Is it important to evangelize? Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. But we cannot just proclaim the gospel, we must disciple. And we can't be so interested in just attracting new people or new young people that we fail to really teach them the whole truth of God. As a result of all of this, we at Celebration Church are starting to relook at the way we're approaching teen ministry, first of all and foremost, by no longer calling it teen ministry. They are not teens. They might be teenagers, but they're not these adolescents. We refuse to buy into this concept that teenagers are idiots and that there are these wandering, spaced out individuals that we can't really expect anything out of. As a result, that's exactly what we're getting out of them. Nothing. They are young adults that face unique challenges and pressures without a doubt. But we are going to treat our young people as adults. And expect the highest out of them. Just like we would any other adult. If we start treating them like adults. And challenging them like adults. And expecting them to behave and react to the challenges of love, life like adults. We will see them start to behave like adults. Now just be warned, you parents with teenagers. Challenging them to act more like adults may not make some of them happy. But we have got to be more concerned about making our young men and women holy and not so concerned about making them happy. I don't want to do another funeral for a young person who out of frustration and desperation took their own lives or as the result of some drunken state that was tragically killed in a car accident. Young people who've come through our youth programs. 
I don't want to have to counsel another young adult who's filled with chlamydia and other sexually transmitted diseases. Young men and women who've had sex with so many people, they've literally lost count. Young people who've come through our youth program, I'm talking about. By the way, uh, recently uh, I heard of an, uh, an attempt to bring in a lady who's a fabulous speaker to, to young people about sexual issues. Her name's Pam Stenzel. I don't know if you've heard of her or not, but she is amazing. When I heard she was coming to town, I was absolutely thrilled. This lady is one butt kicker. I mean, it is cool. And they got some organizations in town to pay the money to have her come in. And, you know, and, but here they are now about a month or so out. And one of the organizations discovered that, that she only promotes abstinence and so they cut the funding for the program and I said I don't care we'll pay for it bring her here (laughs) apparently one cannot just speak about abstinence but one must also at the same time teach young people how to use condoms kind of a conflicting message wouldn't you say Idiots. Anyway, she's coming. I'm, I'm not sure of the date. Uh, anybody here who knows of the date? October 6th. It is a Monday. See, I said October 8th, which is a Wednesday. So it is October 6th. I want every one of you young people here. And I want every one of you parents attached to these young people with them. I don't want to have to hear about another young person who doubts the existence of God, doubts the virgin birth, doubts the resurrection of the dead, doubts of a literal heaven and hell. Not when these young people have come through our youth programs. By the way, you guys over in Point and the other campuses and stuff, uh, a program like this, we will pop up satellite. I want you to fill that sanctuary over there with your young people and people in the community, and I want them to hear this stuff as well. Bottom line, our evangelical young people are leaving our churches without having the basics of Christianity imprinted on them. And that's got to change. They've come, had fun. They learned what it means to believe in Jesus. But much beyond that, they don't seem to last very long. Interestingly interestingly enough, I believe that the mainline denominations, Catholics, Lutherans, Episcopalians, all these guys, do a much better job of drilling the truths of Christianity into their young people. God, the Trinity, the virgin birth, the resurrection of the dead, etc., etc. They've done a much better job than evangelicals. And I love sharing the reality of Christ with people who've been raised in those kinds of churches. Now, the knock on those churches, obviously, from our point of view, is that they've made Christianity so robotic. You know, and then they learn all the right things, but they fail to truly experience God because the emphasis is about doing and saying the right things. Man, you can do and say the right things and still split hell wide open. You've got to be born again. You've got to know God. You've got to have an experience with God in your life. It's not about just external experiences. You've got to be changed here in the heart. But having said that, I love sharing that message with people who've been raised in these kinds of churches. You know why? Because those main churches have already done all the work for me. 
Honestly, you can find a lot of people. They might be living in sin, committing adultery, getting drunk. They're not living this at all. Because they've never got the idea that they could truly experience it. But you come and even in their great struggles and running from God, they still pretty much believe the basics. Because they've had it drilled into them. So the question is, how do mainline churches succeed in drilling the basic tenets of Christianity into their young people? Very simply, by literally drilling the truths into them. By the time these guys leave home, they've recited statements like the Apostles' Creed hundreds and hundreds of times. How many of you have been through that? You know what I'm talking about. You know this stuff. Backwards. Most of our young people coming through our program, this was new to them this morning. Never heard anything like this before. So, for the purpose of training up our young people in the way they should go, the Bible says, and for the purpose of doing something like we just did, where we're all, no matter where we're at, we're all as one congregation standing up and saying it together. I want to start incorporating the Apostles' Creed into our Sunday worship services. Now, some people that makes them a little nervous, particularly people who've been through the more traditional churches who despise them. Who Not the churches so much, but they despise that part of Christianity that's all about saying and doing and not experiencing. And I understand that. Uh, but you need not fear. The Apostles' Creed takes us like 60 seconds or less to say. And I don't think there's any danger of us turning into a robotic type church. This is a pretty fluid group of people and our worship and our energy and our style and our messages is all to be filled with the life of God. But we don't need to be afraid of things that give us some structure that help us to uh, reiterate what it is that we truly believe as believers. So anyway, I'm going to uh, set this up uh, and, and start doing a series of teachings on the Apostles' Creed over the next couple of weeks here and, and, and get a chance to really teach on it and some of these fundamental truths and start saying this as a group of people. Now, let's take a look. This creed originally, what it is, it's about identifying the basic tenets of Christianity. This is fundamentally what we believe. And I've always taught all of you guys, there's a difference between what we believe and what we think. People sometimes will come and say, well, what do you believe about some non-essential doctrine of the Bible. And I'll say, well, I'll tell you what I think. I try not to use the word believe because there's a difference between what I believe and think. What I believe is non-negotiable. What we just talked about, a God in heaven, a trinity, a father, a son, Jesus Christ dying for our sins, being raised from the dead. All of that stuff's non-negotiable. You hold a gun to my head and say, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. Now, if you hold a gun to my head and say, when you baptize people, do you just stick them under once or three times, once each for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I will say, whatever you like. <laughs> I'll spray you with a hose, if that's what you... <laughs> Because how we do it, what formula you say when you do it. And Christians, we fight over the dumbest things sometimes. We just refuse to have those arguments here. We're not going to do it. You can believe whatever you want and I'll accommodate you in area like that for whatever. I don't know what the fire hose, but, uh, but <laughs> we'll accommodate you for the most part. But, you know, there's a difference between what we think about things. And we all got to think things. We all think various things, you know, about Christianity and stuff. But then there's things that we believe, and the stuff we believe is what we hold on to. And these are the things that are absolutely essential. Now, the creed was eventually, or initially instituted, because of the problem of 
heresies coming into the church. The Apostles' Creed is about as old as the New Testament. It was started within 100 or 200 years after Christianity got started. It's not actually written in the Bible, but it's based on truths of the Bible. And uh, originally it's what converts recited before being baptized. And by the way, uh, it's hard for an infant to recite this. Infants were not baptized until hundreds of years later in Christianity when they decided, you know, maybe we should do that for infants. Who knows? What if, what if they die? You know, because infant mortalities were, were extremely high. Mortalities in general were extremely high. I mean, one of the big things in the Bible is, you know, what do we do with all the widows? What does that mean? It means a bunch of guys are dead. You know, people, the people did not live very long. I mean, there, there was a lot of sickness, a lot of all kinds of stuff like that. And, and uh, so they were out of concern for that. They um, would, uh, you know, thought, well, well, we'll baptize them. That's, that's, that's how we'll take care of that. Uh, but we don't do that because nowhere in the Bible did anyone ever baptize an infant. Um, it was always adults. Jesus was 30 years old when he was baptized. All these people were adults. And for hundreds of years in the beginning of Christianity, they were all adults. And part of the Apostles' Creed was created so that this was something that people recited as adults before they were baptized. What do you do with children? Uh, We do what they did with Jesus. They brought Jesus to the temple and they anointed him and they dedicated him to God. We just dedicated five children uh, between the services this morning. So we pray for our children, we anoint them with oil in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We commit them to God, but it's not a baptismal. Our baptismals are reserved, as we believe biblically, for adults. Uh, Again, we think this way, and we think fairly strongly. You know, if you say, no, I I think me being baptized as an infant is good enough for me, you know, we're not going to get in your face and fight about that. But we're still going to do what we do, because that's what we think is the right thing to do. Um... But this whole idea of, of getting people to, to recite this thing was to help get rid of, of, of heresies that were in the church. To give you just an idea of the kind of heresies that were popping up, even by the second uh, century. This is going into the hundred or so years after Christianity. This was a creed that was going around at the time in Christianity. This is what they were having people. It's called the Creed of Apelles. But uh, this is what they had the people quote. We believe that Christ descended from... The power above. You know, already different than we believe in God. See, they say we believe that he descended from the power, from the good. That he is the son of the good. Again, very different. This is again, just very soon after Christianity started getting going. That he was not born of a virgin. That he did appear, and when he did, he was devoid of flesh. He didn't have a, he was just a spirit that showed up. That he formed his body by taking portions of it from the substance of the universe. Very new agey, huh? Hot and cold, moist and dry. That he received cosmical powers in the body and lived for a time, he did in the world. That he was crucified by the Jews and died. That being raised again after three days, he appeared to his disciples. That he showed them the prints of the nails and the wound in his side. Being desirous of persuading them that he was no phantom, but he was present in the flesh. They did admit that. But after he was shown uh, to them, his flesh was restored to the earth. After that, he had once more loosed the bodies of his chains. He gave back to heat what is hot, cold what is cold. Moisture, what is moist, and dryness to what is dry. In this condition, he departed to the good, leaving the seed of life in the world for those through his disciples should believe on him. All right, so this is a very whacked out, you know, version of Christianity. It's like a version of Christianity and, and environmentalism or something. I don't know what all this, you know, 
the earth nonsense and stuff. But uh, it didn't take long before people started really adding all kinds of bizarre things. Of course, here they wanted to challenge, well, he wasn't really born of a virgin. You know, he was just cosmic good, you know. You hear a lot of these kind of thoughts today. You know, yeah, I believe Jesus was a prophet. He was a good guy. Yeah, he might have had some cosmic part. No, 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 no. He was God. The son of the living God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity. That's who Jesus was. Okay? So, uh, anyway, um, let's take a look at the creed. I'm just going to get into the first uh, phrase here because we don't have time. Most of it was just setting up why we're going to be doing what we do. But uh, the creed starts out with this very simple proclamation. We believe in God. Now, amazingly, just acknowledging the very existence of God is a major step for a lot of people. A lot of people say, well, I acknowledge that there's, there might be a higher power. I, I think I can get to the point where there might be something greater than me. <laughs> Do you think? <laughs> people are so arrogant. There might be something greater. It's like an ant going around. And going, you know, I think there might be something greater than me. Yeah, it's me. <laughs> I believe that, uh, you know, there's an energy from the earth and the, the, the rocks and the environment and the chickens and squirrels. And, and the, uh, listen, Mr. Jedi Knight. <laughs> there is a God in heaven and we believe in that God. We believe in a God that has no beginning and no end. We believe a God that to him nothing is impossible. We believe in a God that so loved us. He gave of his very self, his son, who died on the cross for our sins, that we could have forgiveness of sins and be connected with this God. We believe in a God who created all things and without him nothing would exist. This is the God that we believe in. Not some cosmic fuzzy-wuzzy out there that might be greater than me. You know, it's amazing that we live in a culture today where people are increasingly increasingly hostile to the idea of God. And they most often claim intellectual problems with the concept of God. But I believe they're being disingenuous. I, I truly believe the fundamental resistance to believing in God is not due to the difficulty of getting one's head around the concept. It's rather a difficulty of getting one's heart around the concept. The main resistance to acknowledging God is because to do so carries with it the implication of having to answer to his morality. His divine sense of what is right and wrong. Then we got a problem. These same people will more quickly admit to believing in aliens from another planet. Apparently there's no intellectual problems there. Then to believe in a divine being who establishes what is morally right and wrong. I don't know how many of you saw the uh, documentary Exposed. Um, but when this thing comes out on DVD, you have got to rent this thing. You need to watch this, particularly if you have kids at home. So it's rather entertaining, actually. When you say documentary, it sounds extremely boring. It is not. It's really rather funny. Because this guy brilliantly makes fun of people who just run from the concept of God. 
And you know, well, they're highly educated men and women, and we got PhDs and ABCDEFGs, and we just can't imagine their God. That's intellectually problematic, you know. And and he and he talks to these guys, and he eventually gets one of the greatest proponents of of being against uh, the idea of God or what they call intelligent design. Admit on camera, he says, "Well, you know, I guess it is possible that aliens came down." And I came to our planet and programmed with very high technology into the plants and squirrels and chickens the, uh, so that we eventually evolved into... Yeah, I suppose that's probable. <laughs> no intellectual problems with that theory, you know. People stick an energizer battery into the earth and then all of a sudden, all this comes out all by itself. Yeah! Yeah, that's solid. Let's believe that. That makes lots of sense. People from Xenon planet came down and... Oh, for crying out loud. They'll make up anything. It's not, it's not that they have intellectual problems. Not when they come up with stupid stuff like that. Some of their theories just... It takes more faith to believe that nonsense than it does to believe in God. No, the problem is to admit there's a God now means that they have to morally answer to that God and they don't want to do that. They want to continue to lie, steal, cheat, commit adultery, rob, do whatever they got to do, be as selfish and self-centered as they want to be. Think, oh, there's no judgment. I don't have to end God. No, 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 there's no such thing. No, there is such a thing. His name is God. We believe in him. And someday we shall all, all mankind, answer to that God And whether you believe in him or not, it's not a, it doesn't freak him out. You know, people freaked out. I remember when they, back in the 70s, what was it, that newspaper article? God is dead. Some, you know. I don't think that freaked God out. Look at this! I didn't know I was sick! God looks at that stuff and says, oh, for crying out loud. He's just got to look at us and go, oh, myself. You come here, I don't know why. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we believe in God. That's the first phrase in this wonderful declaration. And, uh, and we'll end it here. We will pick up next week and go through it much more quickly and go through the whole thing and go over these fundamental sections of this creed that we're all going to uh, proclaim. Let's uh, have our ushers go ahead and come forward uh, in the campuses, wherever you're at in this building. If you all come forward and get ready to serve communion, the ushers... Uh, and uh, musicians, I mean, can come back as well and get ready uh, to play. Whew. Are you a true believer? You know, there's two kinds of beliefs. There's the believe acknowledging, yeah, I believe. But that doesn't do you any good. That's the acknowledging that Satan does. Satan believes, but it doesn't no good. It's not going to help him in the least bit. But then there's the belief, the biblical belief, where it says to believe in God means to trust in God, to cling to God, to rely on God. That kind of belief, that kind of belief that causes change in our hearts and lives. Are you that kind of a believer? Are you just a casual believer? 
Or are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ? The Bible says that when we take communion as believers, we're to examine ourselves. After hearing this message this morning, and as you're holding the elements before we take communion together, you know, examine yourself. Am I a disciple? Am I really living this? Or I think I just prayed a prayer and that's all that matters and I can live like the devil the rest of the time. No, 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 no. Are you being a true disciple of Jesus Christ? That's what really matters. Maybe you heard this morning and you've never really even taken those first steps of faith in God. You've never really trusted in Him. Maybe you're just like the people that James wrote about. You believe but hasn't really made a difference in your life. Let me encourage you this morning. If you're willing to turn away from the wrong that's in your life and put your faith in Jesus, you can experience God's forgiveness and grace in your life. You can start to experience what we've been talking about this morning. I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer. Uh, here as well as out in the campuses everyone just bow your heads and we're going to pray a prayer together I'm going to ask all of you to repeat this prayer with me and if you will mean this from the bottom of your heart you can start to experience God's love and grace and forgiveness in your life today let's pray this together say dear Jesus I believe you are the son of God that you loved me so much you went to the cross and took my punishment I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.